Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have one of our Bibles from the welcome table, it's on page 1036. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 today. Now, um, we finished Mark's gospel a couple weeks ago here, and, uh, and, and we're moving on to another book of the Bible, right? And, and while we're done with Mark's gospel, we talked about this before, we're done with Mark's gospel, we're not done with the gospel, right? We don't ever move on from the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We only move ever deeper into it and, and see how it affects our lives on a day-to-day basis and how we live it out. Because as Christians and as Christ's church, we don't just need to know the gospel, we need to live the gospel, right? That's reflective in our mission statement here, to bring glory to Jesus Christ by helping each other connect the realities of the gospel with the realities of our lives. So that we conform uh, ourselves, or that we are conformed to Jesus through the midst of, of the world around us and the, the realities that go on. This is, this is what we're going to see in the book of Ephesians. And I say book because typically that's just what we call them when they're all together in, 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 the, script, in uh, the Bible as a whole. But it's actually a letter uh, from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the churches at Ephesus and the surrounding area. So it's this circular letter that was meant to be passed around. Ephesus is on the western coast of modern-day Turkey. You can still go there today, uh, barring coronavirus things. Uh, but uh, you can go there, you can see it, you can, you can look this up on Google Maps and you can see satellite imagery of uh, Ephesus, remains of Ephesus from Paul's day. I think that's so neat. First century we're talking about. Some of this stuff, 2,000 years old uh, almost. And so uh, you can see that. It's a real place. This is a real letter from a real uh, person who was really devoted to Jesus. And um, Paul, Paul visited Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Um, if you have a Bible with maps in the back, you'll see there's a map of Paul's missionary journeys. On the third journey, he passes through Ephesus. You can read actually about his journey there uh, and his time there. He stayed there three years preaching the gospel and building up the church, establishing the church there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19 and 20. Uh, it was written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Most likely between the, the years of 60 and 62 AD. So about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So the, the early church has, has been growing for the, these past 30 years. Paul's been going on, on missionary trips. Uh, the gospel's been spreading out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? As it says in Acts. And, um, and eventually Paul gets imprisoned in Rome and writes... Um, what, what we know as the prison letters, okay? Ephesians is one of them, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are the other three, probably all written around the same time and sent out around the same time from, from Paul in Rome. Now, typically, Paul's letters in the New Testament are written to correct some sort of specific error in the church or to respond to questions that people in the church have. He usually has a specific reason for writing, But this letter lacks those traits, which is why most scholars believe that it was a circular letter that was meant to be read in the church in Ephesus and then sent out to the surrounding regions in Asia Minor, which is what modern-day Turkey was called back then, um, for the encouragement of those churches. Now, it's uh, it's a letter, or now, it's a letter that gets read in local churches all over the world, including ours. We're going to spend time in this letter together. Uh, and we are going to benefit from it greatly 
as we spend the next several weeks working our way through it. It it was written to give the churches a solid reminder of Christian belief and practice so that they would keep from adopting the beliefs and practices uh, of the pagan nations and cultures and religions around them um, and and mixing those with their own. So we're going to get a solid reminder of that too. So the letter's divided into two parts, okay? Uh, Basically right down the middle. Chapters 1 through 3, um, our, our Christian belief. Chapters 4 through 6, our Christian behavior. Okay, we're going we're gonna to spend the first half of, of the letter talking, of, again, being reminded of what the gospel is and all that we've been given in Christ. And then chapters 4 through 6 is going to be instruction on how to live that out as the church. And so we've spent uh, the last year in Mark's gospel uh, making sure that we're clear on who Jesus is and what the gospel is, right? Now we're going to spend some time in Paul's letter here to the Ephesians, understanding um, what the church is and how we live out this gospel together as the body of Christ. Uh, two, two really important things that we need to understand here because um, like we've said before, the, the gospel or Jesus, our relationship with him, it has to be personal, but it's never individual. It's never private. We're saved to a, uh, to a community of believers a body of Christ with Christ as our head. And so we need to understand how we operate corporately in and amongst uh, one another and the world around us in the context of this gospel. So in today's passage, we're going to learn the primary purpose of the church in response to this gospel. So I want to read it um, all in its entirety because verses 3 through 14, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but it's one long sentence in the Greek. So I just want to read the whole thing so we get this, this picture of, of this buildup that Paul is, is uh, writing here. And, and you can almost imagine that if he's preaching this or if he's saying this out loud, he just gets more and more elevated as he keeps going because th- these, these riches just keep piling on top of one another. So let's just read the word of the Lord this morning and hear these beautiful words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. To the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. That he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. As a plan for the right time. To bring everything together in Christ. Both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession, to the praise of his glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, the word of truth. 
And we pray this morning as we work our way through it that you and your spirit would give us wisdom and understanding to know the beautiful and wonderful riches that we've been given in Christ. Father, that we would take this word, that it would enliven our hearts, that it would brighten our eyes, that it would give us life this morning in Christ, and that we would not be able to contain uh, our response of praise. For your glory, the praise of your glorious grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get into this, um, we just need to cover real quickly uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. Like, you can do that real quickly. But um, we need to understand something here because we're going to see it in this passage, okay? And just be reminded, in Mark's gospel, we talked a lot about Jesus uh, and, and God the Father and the Spirit and and. Um, it can be kind of easy, especially when you look at the life of Jesus here on earth as an incarnated human being, it can be easy to think that those are three separate beings, right? But that's not what Scripture teaches us. That's not, that's not what, what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that, that there is only one God, and this God exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to, we need to be able to... Uh, uh, proclaim confidently that God the Father is God, that God the Son is God, and that God the Spirit is God. Each one fully God, coexistent, co-eternal. But we also have to say that the Father is not the Son, and the Father is not the Spirit. And we have to say that the, the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit. And we also have to say that the Spirit is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son. All while maintaining this truth, there is only one God. Listen, we have no analogy to compare this to, okay? Nothing works in our, uh, in our temporal world to say, look at this, this is what God is. We have to say it this way. There is only one God, existing eternally in three persons. Not three gods, only one God. Co-equal in, exi- in essence, but distinguishable with regard to creation and providence, and as we'll see today, redemption and the roles that they play in that, okay? And so our main idea this morning from the passage that Paul's going to help us understand, we're going to see each member of the Trinity and, and the role that they play in redemption, and every response to that is for the praise of his glorious grace, to praise God in all his glory for salvation. And so for us, because the triune God has blessed us with salvation As his church, we ought to praise him for his glorious grace. And we need to understand all three and how they they work together for that. So we ought to praise him because the Father chose us, because the Son redeemed us, and because the Spirit sealed us. This is what Paul's going to tell us this morning. So let's start with the greeting here. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens the letter with a greeting. That's a standard thing. And already, though, we can start to see some major themes he's going to develop in in the rest of this letter. He says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. What's an apostle? Apostle means sent one. It's an official representative of uh, the one who sends. 
So Paul's an official representative of Jesus Christ. He's sent out as a messenger of the gospel. But did Paul assume that title for himself? What does he say? He says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. Right? He's not an apostle because he decided to become one. No, he's an apostle because of Jesus Christ by God's will, it says. God chose this role for him. You can read about that in Acts when God, uh, chapter 9, I believe, when, when God talks to Ananias and Ananias is, is scared to go to Paul because Paul was a Pharisee who, who persecuted and took part in the deaths of Christians. And yet God says, he's my chosen instrument. He was, a, he was a, a Pharisee who persecuted Christians, but now he's a proclaimer of the gospel, and God saved him, and God sent him. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's will, okay? And then he addresses the letter to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. Now, saints are holy ones. They're people who have been set apart and reserved for God. They're dedicated to God. They're consecrated for service to God. But Paul isn't referring only to church leaders here. He's referring to all the members of the church, everyone who believes in Christ. And that's what the word faithful means here. Paul isn't singling out those saints who are dependable, uh, but those who believe, those who trust in Jesus Christ. They're not faithful because, because they're reliable. They're faithful because they trust. They trust in Jesus. And that means... Uh, that every single person who trusts in Jesus is a saint. That's really good news. Now, just from the greeting, it's clear here that Jesus is the central figure of the church, and God's will is the mission of the church. So already from the greeting, we understand that as a church, we need to be about Jesus and whatever God says, right? He says grace and peace to you. That was a common greeting in Paul's letters, but he'll develop these two themes in greater detail throughout the letter and, and note where, where the grace and peace come from. From Paul? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God as our Father is a theme that we're going to see in the next few verses, so let's keep reading. Verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Paul says God is blessed and we are blessed. It's the same word in English, but it's not the same word in Greek. God is praiseworthy because he bestowed favor on us. God is blessed, praiseworthy, because we are blessed. We've been given favor by this God. Now, verse 3 through 14, I mentioned this earlier. It's one single sentence in Greek where Paul stacks blessing upon blessing in order to overwhelm the reader with the goodness of God. It's like opening the, the perfect gift uh, Christmas present, Right? only to, to see that when you open that box and you're amazed by what's in there, there's another box inside that. And you open that one, and it, it gets even better, it feels like. And then that one has a box inside it. And you open that one, and it just continues like to, to blow your mind 
with all of this lavish goodness that you continue to unpack. This is the life of a Christian. This is what we get to behold when we see what God has done for us and given to us. And so you're so overjoyed as you open each one of those gifts that you can't help but show your thanks and praise to the one who gave the gift to you. This is the idea here. Paul says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. This is a summary statement for the rest of this passage here. Every blessing is in Christ. That means that the benefits Paul is going to list here in the rest of this passage are only given to those who believe in Christ through the gospel and are united to him in faith. Listen for how often Paul uses this phrase in some way, shape, or form, in Christ. He says every blessing is in the heavens because that's where Christ is now. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's ruling and reigning in the heavens. And our blessings are in him. But that doesn't mean that we have to wait until we get to heaven uh, to experience those blessings. We can experience them now in part, but we'll know them in full in the age to come. And then Paul says every blessing is spiritual. We receive these benefits from God through the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is in view here in verse 3. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God the Father blesses us in the Son and through the Spirit. In verse 4, Paul says that we have these blessings because the Father chose us in Christ. This is what's known as the doctrine of election. Okay, Now, I know election is like a dirty word right now, um, but we need to understand the difference. And for some, election, even in the church, is a dirty word. But hopefully today we're going to see that this is a beautiful, beautiful truth that we don't have to be afraid of and, and we ought to cling to because this is what is revealed in Scripture There's no campaigning, there's no votes cast, there's only one elector here and it's God the Father, okay? And he chooses to save people in Christ for himself. When, when did he choose? What does Paul say? Before the foundation of the world. He didn't simply look to the future to see who would believe in Christ and then choose them for salvation. No, he chose us for salvation so that we would believe in Christ, Verse 5 says that he predestined us. This, this means that he decided beforehand. He predetermined those who he would save for himself. Listen to Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember what happened long ago. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place. I will do all my will. God doesn't choose us based on our will. God chooses us based on his will. Now we can have a few different responses to this when we, when we hear this. We can wonder if this is fair, right? That's a valid question to ask. But scripture answers this for us. Why would God save some and not others? That might be the question that we're, we're wondering about. Is he really good if he only chooses some and, and, and not others. But we need to understand that's not the correct question. If we're honest about our sinful nature, which we, we should be by now, then we should be asking why God would save any of us at all. If this isn't a, a question that you daily wrestle with, why in the world would God want to choose me? Then you need to read the gospel more. You need to understand who Jesus is more. 
We've all rebelled against him. And in our sin, we've chosen ourselves over God. If it was up to us, guess who we choose? Us. Me. And we're all deserving of his eternal wrath. No one, no one is worthy of God's choosing. But the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. And he saved us. We got what we didn't deserve. That's the very definition of grace. And it makes God worthy of our praise. He chose us in love to be holy and blameless before him so we could be pure and perfect without fault, free from guilt. Are we? Were we? We can't do that on our own, right? He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. That's why Paul can refer to him as God, our Father. Did you notice that he says that in here? From God, our Father, grace and peace to you and the Lord Jesus Christ. As he writes here to the saints in Christ, he uses the word sons here because sons are the heirs of the inheritance. That doesn't mean that this is just for dudes, okay? Every daughter, every son, every child of God who has faith in Christ is united to him through faith. We are now heirs of the kingdom. All God's children, male and female, share in that inheritance together. And all of this is according to the good pleasure of his will. I love that. It's not just because God said so. God takes pleasure in this. This is a good thing. God is good and he does good. We need to remember that and and continue to repeat that over and over in our minds. Does anything that Paul has said here sound like a, a, a vindictive and, and sinister God? Like an unfair God? Or does it sound like a loving God who, again, is good and does good? Now, we can also hear this and we can think, well, then what's the point of evangelism? If God has already predetermined who will be saved. Now, it's true that God has chosen who he will save. But it's also true that God has chosen how he will save them. And what does scripture teach us? That it's through faith in Christ as they hear the gospel and they believe it. But they can't believe if they don't hear it. And they can't hear it if no one proclaims it to them. And so scripture says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so we share the gospel freely with everyone because we're not God and we don't know who he's chosen. But we do that in the freedom of knowing that God will save whom God will save. And so we don't have to have that burden placed on us to, to get it right every single time or to say exactly the, 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 the same thing. I'm stumbling over my words right now just trying to explain this. God is the one who takes his word by his spirit and makes a heart alive. This is a God who is good and who does good and he's chosen to allow us to participate in that by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. What a gift. What a gift. And since it's God who does the choosing and God who does the saving, that means that it's not based on our merit. It's based on his. 
This means that we can't earn forgiveness from God. It means that he gives it freely according to the good pleasure of his will. And so we can't take pride in our accomplishments. We can't come to God with a list of things that we've, we've been a member of or that we've given to or that we've done. It doesn't work like that. We weren't even alive in eternity past before the foundation of the world. He built the world first. It says before the foundation of the world, he chose us. It's not based on our merit. It's based on his. God saves us because he loves us. Because he is love. So not only can we not take pride in in our own self and what we've done, but we also don't need to wallow in guilt and shame. If God has saved you, he saved you. He's made you his, and you can't undo that. You can't earn it, and you can't unearn it. And what's our response to this love? Verse 6, we praise him for his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, Jesus Christ. The Father chose us, and the Son redeemed us. Look at verse 7. In him, again, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, uh, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. It just gets better and better. In Christ we have redemption. What's redemption? It's the setting free of someone in bondage through the payment of a ransom. What's the ransom Christ paid? His own blood, right? That's the culmination of Mark's gospel. That's what Mark was getting to all along, was the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and his resurrection for our justification. What did his blood purchase? I just said it, the forgiveness of our sins, right? This is the heart of the good news. This is what Mark says in his gospel. This is what Matthew, Luke, and John say in their gospel. This is what all of the New Testament points to as the good news. This substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. But we need to understand something here. To whom was the ransom paid? It wasn't paid to sin. It wasn't paid to Satan. Even though that we were enslaved to them, right? Their holiness wasn't affected by sin because they're not holy to begin with. Whose holiness is offended by our sin? God himself. This God who is good and who does good. God's holiness was offended by our sin and and in his righteous judgment, he condemned us to his holy wrath against our sin. But in love, Scripture tells us he sent his own son to pay the penalty by dying on the cross and bearing the full wrath of God for our sins. Jesus paid our ransom to the Father in order to purchase our forgiveness and set us free from our guilt and shame. And God proved that Christ's payment was sufficient when he raised him from the dead three days later. 
Paul says this was according to the riches of God's grace that he richly poured out on us. Here's the thing. As you read this, you cannot deny how Paul describes God here. You can deny and and choose not to believe it, but you can't deny that Paul is portraying a beautiful God and Savior who gives us freely according to his riches that he richly poured out on us. And it was done, Paul says, in the totality of wisdom and understanding. And in his wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will, which was his plan of redemption in Christ and according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. This is amazing stuff. We'll spend the rest of our lives trying to to fully grasp all that's here. The gospel reveals that God set forth a plan to reconcile everything in Christ, to bring everything in the whole universe together in him. Now, this doesn't mean that all religions lead to, to God. This doesn't mean that, uh, that, that everyone will end up in heaven and no one will end up in hell. It means that everything finds its true meaning in Christ, its pure meaning in Christ. And through him, God will reverse the curse that has been placed on all of creation because of sin. And he'll unite everything together fully and finally under the lordship of Jesus. This is what's coming. This is a promise that should give us great hope as his church, especially in the midst of all that is 2020. Right? It's super easy to, to, to think back over this year and go, God... What are you doing? Are you really in control? Are you just being quiet? This is a God who is firmly in control and he's working his plan according to his good pleasure. Along with the redemption in Jesus, we've also received an inheritance in Christ according to verse 11. Why? Because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. That means that we have something to look forward to and that we can rest in its guarantee because God has planned it for us. Because he's predestined us to be adopted as sons. We go back to verse 4. And sons receive an inheritance. God planned it that way and he's going to work it out that way. It's good for us to be reminded of God's sovereignty here in verse 11. God doesn't change his plans. He declares the end from the beginning, right? That's what Isaiah tells us. He uses his infinite power and his infinite wisdom to work out every individual thing, everything. Paul just sums it up right there. So that it agrees with the purpose of his will, which is what? To save and redeem his people and to make them holy and blameless like his son Jesus. And he will accomplish this. Proverbs 21.30 says, No wisdom, no understanding, and no counsel will prevail against the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. No one can stop God's redemptive plan. And he can even take the sinful and evil actions of men and work them out for the good of his people and their conformity to Christ. That's the promise that we get in Romans 8, 28 through 30. That's God's purpose in, in, in making it good for us. God is not the author of evil and sin, but he, he is the redeemer of evil and sinful men and evil and sinful women. 
And again, what's the purpose for redeeming us through Christ and giving us an inheritance in him? So that we put our hope in Christ, so that we who put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Do you see these, these breaks here and how Paul's sectioning this off? That we would declare that he is in fact the one true God who does what he pleases and it pleases him to save sinners and bless them with an eternal inheritance as co-heirs in Christ. He is good and he does good. The Father chose us, the Son redeemed us, and the Spirit sealed us. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is given to every single believer at conversion. God promised to give the Holy Spirit to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, and now, through faith in Christ, that promise is fulfilled for every believer. Every believer. No one is sealed with the Holy Spirit if they don't first hear the gospel and believe it, but also, no one can believe the gospel unless he or she is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul calls the gospel the word of truth. There are many false gospels out there. But the only gospel that reveals, or only the gospel that reveals salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which we'll see when we get to chapter 2. That's the true gospel. That's the word of truth. The Holy Spirit enables us to believe this gospel and entrust ourselves to Christ in faith as we hear it. And God seals us with his Holy Spirit as a permanent identification marker that we are now his. And the Holy Spirit's also the down payment of our inheritance until we receive it in full when Christ returns. Paul says until the redemption of the possession. We're given the Holy Spirit as a permanent reminder that God keeps his promises and lavishes his good gifts and eternal blessings on his children. Can you just imagine, I mean, to grasp that God himself has given himself to us as believers, that, that the Spirit of God lives in us? I don't care what you ask for for Christmas this year. That, there's nothing that compares to that. We would do well to counsel our hearts in these words and to be reminded that God is here with us and in us. And that's just the beginning. And again, what is the purpose in all of this? What does Paul say? It's for the praise of his glory. Every spiritual blessing that God lavishes on us in the heavens in Christ is meant to drive us to worship him and give him praise for all that he has done. Think of the refrains in Psalm 145. I mean, it is just nothing but look what God has done. Look at these things. One generation will declare your works to the next. It's more than singing, although it certainly includes that. But the greatest way that we can praise God for his glorious grace is by proclaiming it to others through the good news of the gospel. What better way is there to say, look what God has done, than to show that through the gospel, 
that we would tell someone, believer and unbeliever alike, right? We need, to, we need this daily as believers. We never graduate from the gospel. We only continue to live in it. And so we need to be reminded of it daily because we're prone to think falsely about it, aren't we? We're, we're prone to forget certain aspects of it. That God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to take on flesh and to die in our place on the cross and to be raised from the grave so that we could be justified, that we could actually stand before God holy and blameless in his sight because Christ's blood covers us and we've been redeemed. This is the hope that we have. This is the good news that we have. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavens if you have Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have these blessings. But the good news is that God, in his love for you, and according to the good pleasure of his will, because he is good and he does good, he freely offers these things to you if you will first receive his son, which is the best gift of all. That's what we have to look forward to, that we spend eternity with Jesus and share in his inheritance. So if you haven't put your faith in Christ, then hear the word of truth this morning and believe. Trust in Jesus for salvation and receive every spiritual blessing in the heavens in him. It's super easy for us as followers of Christ to get distracted by things at eye level. And the Bible constantly tells us to look up. To fix our eyes on things not seen. To fix them on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's easy for us to look at the world around us and wonder if God is really in control or if he's checked out. But Paul's words here leave no room for doubt. God is indeed in control. And he's pleased, he's pleased to work out everything for our redemptive good so that we will see his grace and praise him for it. The Father chose us. The Son redeemed us. The Spirit sealed us. God established our redemption from eternity past, and he's guaranteed to bring it to fruition in eternity future so that we can be sure and steadfast and secure in the here and now as we wait for it. From before the foundation of the world until the redemption of the possession, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. He's made us holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He has revealed to us the mystery of his will through the gospel and united us together with Christ. He's given us an inheritance and sealed us with his Holy Spirit as a down payment of that inheritance. And all of this, all of it is by his good pleasure and according to his will that no one can get in the way of. No one can thwart. God is good and he does good. And this is the good that's revealed to us. And so as his church and as recipients of his glorious grace, may we be known as people of praise. Yes, we can have conversations about the things that are going on. Yes, we can talk about the fears and anxieties that well up within us. But as believers, we don't stay there. 
we take those things to these promises and we lay these promises on top and we look at that and we say, this is true too. In fact, this is the greater reality. This is what's coming. So let's be people of praise, giving thanks to our God and Father as we recount his blessings through the gospel from here unto eternity. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for your glorious grace given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are. Your creation reveals that there's a creator. But your word has revealed to us the one who is the living word, Jesus Christ. We know your name. That is a spiritual blessing. That we can call you Father, that we can be your children, that you've given us all these things in Christ so that our hope is secure. Lord, we thank you for the promise that all of this we will see completed one day. And so would you strengthen our hearts as we wait for the redemption of the possession? Would you remind us that we've been indwelt by your spirit? Would you uh, saturate us with your word? And would you motivate us as sent ones, as those who have been uh, commissioned to go out and make disciples? Would you help us to do that boldly, to share this good news of Jesus out of gratitude for what we've received? We thank you, God, and we give you praise. Would you let praise be on our hearts the rest of this day and into this next week? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.